the Bitterfly Podcast. Knowledge is food, bitches. Eat up. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Bitterfly Podcast with me, your host, Emily Altobli. Uh, today, we're talking to Ryan Phillip. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> That's yes. what you went by last time. So just go by that again. Okay. Yeah, continuity. I'm going to restart. Sure. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Bitterfly Podcast with me, your host, Emily Altoboli. Today, we're talking to Ryan Phillip. If you remember him from episode three, this is the guy who worked at booking in the corporate life, decided he wanted to change. He became a yoga instructor. Now he lives in Maui. So we're just going to catch up with Ryan and see what he's been up to. Thanks for being on again, man. Yeah, thanks, Em. I'm stoked to be back. I really appreciate the invite again. Yeah, definitely. So many people loved your episode. Like, and it was, it was, it was gorgeous. It had so much information. It was one of those, like, you had to listen to it like two or three times and you got something like new each time you listened to it. I think I've listened amazing. to it like six times. So Yeah, I've listened yeah. to it. About six times myself. We talked so much <laughs> shit. We literally talked about like the nine to five and how that's not that's not where it's at for the human spirit. And so many people took away that box analogy you made about life and how it's just been like boiled down to this. You go to work in a box, you eat out of a box, you sit at a box, you go home and you watch a box and then you go to bed in a box. And um, yep. yeah, that was... That was good, man. That changed a lot of people's perspectives, I think. So that's you're amazing. Com- you're always coming up with good shit. So <laughs> <laughs> it's not just me. It's like I have so many amazing teachers and resources, and so many, uh, just so much amazing energy and support in my life. And I'm just kind of taking a little bit from everyone, and then just making it my own experience, and then just sharing it from my own point of view. You know, so it's just yeah. all everything that I've experienced. Um, you know, hands on. And then I just put it out there. Love that. Yeah. Such good vibes. So last we left off, you kind of explained your journey of how you moved from Washington to Hawaii. Mm -hmm. You're working with your friend John on healthy eating and yoga and meditation and just like absorbing as much as you can from that realm. Um, You started Jerf with John, the yep. just eat real food. That's another one yep. that people talk about a lot. Like my friends and I will sit down to dinner and it's like, we're jerfing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a real thing. Everybody's just eat real jerfing. food, baby. <laughs> yeah. So what have you been doing since? It's been about a year since we saw you last. I know it's nuts. I can't believe it's been a year since that last episode. Um, yeah. But a lot has changed. Um, when I actually, we shot that podcast. I was still living in the house with John. Um, but since then, I've actually moved to a organic uh, regenerative biodynamic farm here in Kula in uh, on Maui, which is not too far from the house I was living in. I'm still doing the yoga, still jerfing as part of my daily nutrition regime, but I'm not involved in the company anymore. It's solely John now, which is okay. amazing. He's thriving, doing his thing. Um, but I actually took a leap of faith and decided to move on to this farm. So there's this beautiful farm up in Kula. It's called Maui Bees. Um, they needed help in the kitchen. 
uh, originally. And I would come up here every Friday and I would bug Chef Larry like, hey, I know you need help. Um, let's up. Let me get in the kitchen with you. And after a few weeks, he finally was like, okay, let's do a stage. So I went to the kitchen, worked with him for a day. He was like, okay, this will work. So he brought me on full time. Uh, we did an amazing farm to table lunch service for about nine months. So it was everything from our garden and neighboring farms uh, in the upcountry Maui area. And we were getting beautiful produce from our garden, from other farms' gardens. And we were taking that food and doing as minimal preparation and um, manipulation to it as possible and just putting it out to the community, amazing, jerky, nutritious, delicious food. And it just skyrocketed. And uh, by the end of our lunch service, we were doing about 120 covers a day, which is a lot for a small family farm. Um, so we kind of decided to pump the brakes on that and kind of reprioritize and reorganize the vibes of the farm and kind of get back to the roots of it. So we stopped the lunch service, which in turn gave me this beautiful opportunity to work out on the land. So now I kind of split my days between the kitchen and the land. So um, I do about two describe, days. In sorry, can you describe no, the ahead. farm? Like what if it's called Maui Bee? So is it primarily Correct. like a bee haven? And then like also like how big is the farm? How much acreage? Like what's the purpose? Yeah. Absolutely. So it is a four acre farm, um, but every part of the land is being utilized. So we have bees. We have about 50 colonies of bees here on the property. We have 300 colonies of bees um, in total, but about 50 here. The rest are within a 12 mile radius, all on organic land. Uh, we have about a half an acre garden where we grow all kinds of vegetables. We have uh, kale and char, carrots asparagus, lettuce. Um, we have leeks and taro. Um, we have an apple orchard with pears and apples. We have a citrus orchard with um, oranges, grapefruits, lemons, limes, uh, avocados, figs. We have uh, milking cows. So we have three dairy cows on the property. We have uh, a turkey pasture with turkeys. We have actually like seven baby turkeys running around right now. Um, we have we have a couple hundred chickens that each lay about an egg a day. Um, so we have all of these things, all of these moving parts, plus a commercial kitchen that's putting out food every day, which is just, in my opinion, the cherry on top. Um, it's all of the love and all of the beauty that goes into the land. It kind of has that final that final finish and gets put out onto the farm stand with all of this beautiful, nutritious offerings that we have. So there's a lot of things going on. We also have a honey house with an extraction room up top. And we just finished honey harvest about a day ago. So um, we get all of the honey. What Go is ahead. that? Can you describe, like, like how do you harvest the honey? Sure. Like, what's the extraction process? Yeah, and it's, uh, it's, it's, quite the, uh, it's quite the process. So what we do is we'll go out to the yards and we'll bring the bee boxes, which has about nine frames in each box, and bring it back to the extraction room. And then we'll pop the frames out. We'll put them in this machine that takes the caps off of the, off of the frames. And then we put about 30 frames in this big centrifuge, and we have two of them. And it spins around really fast. And it brings all of the honey to the sides and it drains down into this big tub, which is then um, 
it's kind of siphoned into these big tubes that go into these huge drums, um, like 500 gallon drums. And uh, then we take the honey from there and this is all raw. There's nothing that we do to the honey at all, as far as like heating or cooling or anything like that. Um, and then we bottle the honey, we label it, and then we put it out for sale. The only thing that we do is we add a sugar crystal to the honey so it crystallizes for longer shelf stability. That is the only thing we do. So it's completely 100% raw Maui honey. Do you guys do anything well, else with like the byproduct of the honey? Yeah, so we have a lot of it we give back to the bees. So when we're done with the bee frames, the tools, any excess wax or anything that we have, we just put it back outside and give it to the bees. Um, we do have uh, honeycomb that we sell. We have this beautiful um, beekeeper's reserve honey that has like propolis and pollen on top, which is really, really good for you. Um, and we do harvest twice a year. So we do a summer harvest and a winter harvest. So we have summer honey and winter honey. And they're both completely different. Um, and it's really, really beautiful. The summer honey is much more floral because the bees feed on glycine and eucalyptus. And in the summer, they feed on bottle brush and Christmas berry. So the summer honey is going to be much more floral like your traditional honey. And then the winter honey is going to be a little sweeter with hints of caramel. And it's a little denser, which is my personal favorite. Interesting. I did not know yeah, all this really about cool. honey. So the yeah, farm it's really is... Cool. You've got, sounds like animals, you've got lots of insects, probably more than just bees, and also like all organic produce, as well yep. as a restaurant. So can people come and visit this restaurant like every day for like lunch or dinner and like check out the farm? Is it like a tourist spot Absolutely. as well? Yeah, actually, it is a tourist spot, definitely. Um, so it's not so much a restaurant anymore because we did away with the lunch service um, just because it was the infrastructure of the farm couldn't handle that many covers a day. Parking was a little bit much. Um, just the traffic on the farm was a bit much. It kind of took away from that small family vibe, but we're still putting out tons of food on the stand to go. So people can go up and grab the goodies and they can sit at the uh, picnic tables, taking all the views. We have a beautiful bee museum with two observation hives and tons of information. So people can actually go and see how the bees are working, find the queen, um, it's really beautiful. And yes, we do as well offer tours. So we have bee tour. Well, we have bee tours for children. We have bee workshops for people that are, that are interested in um, having their own hives at their own home and collecting honey. And we also have regenerative agricultural tours for adults and children as well. Mainly adults are more interested in that one. And um, the owners of the farm, Mark and Leah, they run those tours. And they are both just a wealth of knowledge. They've had this farm for about 12 years. And they've brought the land back from almost the desolate wasteland to where it is now a thriving oasis uh, upcountry Maui through regenerative and biodynamic methods. Wow, that's so beautiful. I definitely want to come take a tour because I want to have bees someday. I just think that they'd be really fun. I don't know. <laughs> it's like something yeah, I don't, I don't know why I want to do that, but I do and I will. So Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, you have a really good resource here. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know this. Okay. Yeah. Everyone go visit Maui bees if you want to figure that out. So what uh, have you learned about farming through, you know, you moved out of the kitchen and now you're working more on the land. Um, yeah. Like what have, what are your takeaways from that? Well, first I have learned 
um, like kind of what's with, through this regenerative agriculture, are you kind of seeing like what's wrong with all of the big ag industrial farming? Like this sounds really different. This sounds like smaller and more focused on the land and taking care of nature. Exactly. And that's exactly where I was getting at. I, I kind of learned what was wrong with, you know, um, big farming, you know, industrial agriculture by being able to participate in this, what's going on here. Um, so the number one thing is soil health. That's the most important thing when it comes to farming and just general upkeep of mother nature and mother earth is soil health. Um, in industrial agriculture, one of the biggest problems is tilling. Um, when they till the land, they leave the top soil and the earth barren and it is affected by the elements, you know, sun, rain, winds. And you lose a lot of topsoil and you lose a lot of those nutrients. Um, there's also a lot of pesticide use. There's a lot of fungicide use. There's a lot of herbicide use. It's kill, kill, kill instead of providing an environment for all of these species to flourish and give back to the land. So you're actually taking away from the ecosystem instead of nourishing it. Um, and there's also a term called monoculture where industrial farmers are just growing one crop over and over and over again, which takes away from the biodiversity of the ecosystem, which takes away from the biodiversity of the health. And you need a lot of biology and organisms in your soil in order for it to flourish. Interesting. Yeah, I did know about monocropping or monoculture where mm -hmm. one farm, I mean, I think the top three are corn, soybeans and wheat in yep. America specifically like that, yep. you know, when an entire farm, that's all they fucking grow. And that's to it. go back, like people who know nothing about agriculture, like, can you kind of explain like the tilling and erosion aspect you just touched on, like, like yeah. what it, what is it and how do they do that? And why is it bad? Yeah, absolutely. So you can even like take it back to like ancient civilizations. When we first started plowing the land and obviously back in ancient civilizations, they didn't have tilling machines, but they had oxen and they had plows. When we first started breaking up the earth and plowing, which nowadays is tilling, we separated ourselves from nature. We kind of stopped following nature's way, which is the most ideal way, right? We started plowing the earth, we started breaking it up, which would allow it to be vulnerable to the elements, like rain. When the soil is laid barren and it starts to rain, all of those precious nutrients and topsoil is washed away. When the soil is laid barren after tilling and there's a windstorm, all of those precious nutrients, organisms and topsoil is blown away. So the ground um, is like healthiest when it's like compacted and instead of like digging it up and then just like dropping all these seeds in a row from a machine, it's better to like, like poke a hole, drop a seed kind of thing instead of like digging it all up and then like dropping a ton. So like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like tilling seems efficient. Like you uh -huh. can drop a shit ton of seeds like all in one row instead of like going through and, and kind of like placing them more delicately which yeah. is better for the soil yeah so the thing is um 
you actually don't want your soil to be compacted. You want it to have like pockets where the organisms can thrive. You want it to be able to take the water in. And if the soil is compacted, it can't absorb any water. So you don't want to till the soil because it in turn compacts the soil as well. You want the soil to be able to absorb all of these rich nutrients. And by tilling the soil, that negates the ability for it to be able to absorb all those nutrients. So the practice that we use here is called raking and broad forking. So we'll rake all of the mulch, and we'll touch on mulch in a minute, but we'll rake all the mulch off to the side. And then we have this thing called a broad fork, and it's almost, almost like a double-handled shovel, and it has like four spikes on top. You just drop that into the soil and you just pull back just a touch, just to kind of crack the soil and allow it to be aerated. So you don't want to break the soil and flip it and till it because when you do that, you are breaking the mycorrhizal fungi, which is this network of, let's just say stems or veins or whatever you want to call it, but it's, it's fungi. And it is what scientists call the wood wide web. So it is a system of communication for all of the plants to communicate, for the garden to be able to send nutrients from one area of the garden to the other that may be lacking nutrients. So it's just this beautiful system of fungi that once they're destroyed, it takes so long for them to grow back. So that is one of the most important aspects of not tilling is because you want that mycorrhizal fungi to thrive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's like the that does the decomposition work of like taking one plant and breaking it down into soil that can be used for another. And that's the problem with monocropping. It like weakens the soil basically. Um, and then it's unable to support healthy plant growth. And then the farmers have to use chemical fertilizer to encourage plant and fruit production. And it's just like this closed detrimental circle it sounds like when it comes to industrial agriculture absolutely it it is a vicious cycle and anybody who is interested in knowing more about this um, i encourage them to watch the movie kiss the ground on netflix it's narrated by woody harrelson who actually lives here on maui and he's come up to the farm several times a really cool guy um but it is it's a beautiful way yeah it is really cool Um, it's a beautiful way for you to get an entry level understanding of what's happening, very easily digestible, very, very informative. And there's a gentleman on there. His name is Gabe Brown, um, who is an absolute pioneer for regenerative agricultural uh, agriculture, especially here in North America. So he's another great resource and he's on that movie as well. Um, but I highly encourage anybody who's interested to take a look at that and that'll give you a really Um, firm understanding of industrial agriculture versus uh, regenerative agriculture. And in that film, they go to explain how we only have about 60 harvests left with our conventional methods that are happening now. So that means we only have about 60 years of crop growing left before the soil, the way it is, the way it is being manipulated will not be able to produce food anymore. So that's how important this is for people to have a, at least a general understanding of how important soil health is and how that transfers to our everyday lives as humans consuming the food that these farmers are growing. Absolutely. Food quality is life quality. 
Like, Absolutely. We need our methods to reflect that. Yeah, I was just going to say, 100. <laughs> part, part of the vicious cycle is, of what we're doing by killing like weeds and fungus and pests and pollinators are dying. It's and tilling the soil. All these things that we're doing is having like a real effect on our health. Um, like Absolutely. the nutrient densities in the food we grow in America. If we till the soil and it erodes so much like one thing I hear a lot about is um, a lot of people are deficient in magnesium. Like yep. that's supposed to come from the soil that we grow our food in and magnesium deficiency can look a lot like depression symptoms, like fatigue, yes. tired, hopelessness. Like is this is crazy to me. So 60 well, crop cycles left if we don't change. Yeah. And just to kind of touch on that, the, point, and I said a little bit earlier, the point of kind of industrial agriculture, they're coming at it from a kill everything basis, you know, so they're using all of these, all of these chemicals, and the beginning of the industrial revolution, industrial agricultural revolution came after World War II, they had a surplus of all these chemicals that they were using in the war, and then they just rebranded them, the exact same chemicals they were using to kill people, they rebranded them as pesticides. Um, and glyphosate is just a huge, huge enemy of the human organism. And it's been used so widely. It's absolute poison. It's been used so widely in industrial agriculture that it is now found in everything. There's traces of glyphosate in the air, in the water, in breast milk. So there's nursing mothers that are feeding glyphosate to these infant children because it's so prominent in our culture. It's poison is in our bodies. The same food that they're using to feed us is killing us, essentially. That's how deep this goes. Yeah, and it's really sad, like, especially for a uh, developed nation like America. We spend so much money on healthcare. care. We, we don't understand why we lead the world in, like, ADD, ADHD, cancer, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, autoimmune diseases, osteoporosis, like, the list goes on and on and on. Yep, um, yep, yep. And it just seems like such an obvious answer, like, well, how is our food quality? And why do we allow, like, all of these ingredients that are banned in other countries, we, like, allow them into our food system? Exactly. Yeah, so, it's wild. Yeah. But this is super interesting, all of it. And it's sad. But I watched, you know, Kiss the Ground this last week, kind of in preparation for this episode. And it did give me a lot of hope, although it was kind mm -hmm. of jarring. And yep. I think most people like listening to Bitterfly slash people our age haven't ever really thought about farming or agriculture besides like that's where the food that we all eat comes from, you know, and I just, I hope mm -hmm. that I'll be able to find what I need at the store kind of thing. We haven't like really taken it upon ourselves as individuals to figure out like what is going on and is this best for me? You know, I think most people go as far as maybe checking the ingredients Sure. on something that they're buying, but they're not going sure. so far as like looking up that company, looking to see what kind of pesticides they use. And in some ways we're kind of trapped in the system where a lot of us don't have space to grow our own food. We're relying on like the system to take care of us and it's, it's not doing that. So yeah, that's why it's so important for us to start to make these 
uh, relationships and connections with local farmers via our farmers markets. Um, you know, CSA program is just a beautiful program where the, um, a lot of these organic farmers offer a box every week with all these uh, assortment of vegetables. And, you know, you just pay every month and they're able to educate people on where these vegetables came from, how they were grown, what methods they use. They just see beautiful chard and this beautiful kale. And they're like, wow, wow, how did you do this? And that strikes an interest in someone. And then through those conversations and that interest, people are able to be educated by the farmers on how to possibly grow this food in their own homes. Um, you know, it doesn't take a lot of space, you know, and that's another common misconception. There's so many urban farms and so many rooftop farms and so many backyard gardens and all you need is a box. I've seen so many brilliant people make gardens out of um, out of dresser drawers and things like that in urban areas and even growing your own sprouts and sprout jars and just things like that when you're able to kind of watch the growing and cultivation of your own food and then you eat it, there's nothing like that, you know? There's nothing like that. And for it to be so clean and it's delicious and you can really taste the difference in organic farming versus conventional because there's so much more nutrients in the soil that is being translated into the vegetables, into the produce, which is in turn translated into the flavor of the food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, a little bit like sidestepping Gabe Brown, the guy in um, the one who's like starting the soil movement or at least contributing, yep. contributing yep. to it heavily in Kiss the Ground. He showed, um, he was like, this is a store-bought egg, probably from a cage-free bird, which we all know means cage-free doesn't mean they got sunlight, doesn't mean they were able to run around. It probably just means they weren't in a cage or they were still packed into like a dark, gross, I don't even know what they call it that they keep them in. A barn or something. Yeah. Yeah. And pasture free. That's what we should all be buying, by the way, people, because it means the chickens were actually got sunlight, fresh air. They were allowed to run around and graze. Um, he takes one egg of both of those, a cage free and a pasture raised egg, and he cracks them and shows like what the yolk even looks like in his cast iron pan. And the cage free eggs, it was like super soft yolk. Like it just kind of, it just didn't look as good. It wasn't as bright of a yellow color. Yep. And yep. his pasture raised chicken, like he was like poking the yolk and it was like so strong and firm and bright. Like you could just tell looking in the pan, like that there is definitely a difference in quality. There. Absolutely. Absolutely. Based on, like the life and energy you give that animal. So that's something, yeah, like we could all like learn from so the soil health movement i like what they said in kiss the ground the netflix documentary they were like heal the soil heal yourself absolutely wow what a concept i don't think a lot of us think about dirt very often no i mean in that it even takes it back to hippocrates when he said let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food you know we don't need i mean don't get me wrong Medical technology and technology nowadays is fascinating. It's brilliant. It is helping people to you know, really transform and change and heal when it's necessary. But it doesn't have to come to that. You know, we can heal ourselves and nourish ourselves just by the food that we eat. If we pay attention to nature's way, follow nature's way and not separate ourselves from nature and make ourselves something outside of nature we can live 
in co-resonance and harmonize and allow ourselves to be one with nature and allow ourselves to be in a place of healing all the time. It's more preventative measures than, okay, how can I fix this now? So let's talk about regenerative agriculture. Okay. Dynamics. That's something that you said you're working on at the farm and like seeing in action. Can you kind of describe that? Define, describe like what is regenerative agriculture and like, why is it better than industrial big ag in America? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So regenerative agriculture has a lot of different uh, facets. There's a lot of different ways people are regenerative farming. Um, Regenerative farming in a nutshell is just creating soil health, adding biodiversity back into the soil for healthier soil. So biodynamics is just a wide range of biology in your soil. What we're doing here is we're adding, we're adding bio health, we're adding health to the soil consistently through compost, compost teas, um, biodynamic inoculation. So something that's really cool that I have started studying is like Korean natural farming uh, developed in the 1960s by Dr. Cho. So I just created IMO1 and IMO2. So IMO means indigenous microorganisms. So it's a really cool process. So I made a pot of rice and then I took that pot of rice and I had two to-go containers. And you just layer a paper towel down on the to-go container and put about three inches of rice in that container. And I took the container up top behind our land, like a bamboo patch, and I just let it sit there for about five days. So that rice was then inoculated. And inoculated just means you're introducing, you're introducing fungi or bacteria into an environment. In this case, the rice is the environment, and we're introducing indigenous microorganisms to that rice. So at the end of the five days, you open the container, the rice is all fuzzy, there's yellow, blue, red, all these different good and bad bacteria. So I took that, mixed it with sugar, um, and then put it in a mason jar, put another layer of sugar on top of that, and now you have what's called IMO2. So that's the second phase of the indigenous microorganism. So I take that and I take a couple spoonfuls and I mix it into a couple gallons of water and spray the garden. So now I'm adding all of this uh, microbiology that wasn't in the soil to the soil. And you just keep adding it and building it and building it. And you're just adding more biodiversity. That's the key to regenerative farming is adding more and more biodiversity into the soil. You're not going to hurt the soil by adding. You're just going to keep allowing it to be nourished and allowing it to take in more nutrients, to take in more, to take in more life. So those those uh, crops that you're growing can have the richest, fullest, most vibrant look, taste, and feel to them that's available to that area. Um, another practice that we do is cover cropping that. Uh, industrial farmers, they don't do. They just leave the fields barren in the off season. So that's kind of what we talked about when the erosion comes in and all of that soil is just beat by the sun and all of those nutrients and topsoil is blown away and the list goes on. So when we, we do this about once a year and we have quite a few cover crops going in our beds right now, which is really cool. So like I described to you, the raking and broad forking. So we rake, broad fork, 
aerate the soil. And then after that, we cover those raked and aerated beds with cover crop, which is generally like black-eyed peas, legumes, wheat berry, rye, something that is going to grow relatively fast and it's going to provide a lot of nutrients and carbon into the soil. So we let that grow all the way up and then we take it down as low as we can with a weed whacker. And all of that dead organic matter is now on the bed. And then we cover it with weed mats so it all dies. And then it goes right back into the soil. And then after that, we cover it with mulch again and then it's ready for the next crop. So we're not using our cover crop as a cash crop. We're only using it to revitalize the soil, to replenish the soil, to give it more. And it's a continuing process. So each year, you're getting more and more topsoil. You're getting more and more carbon. You're getting more and more organic matter. And after 20, 30 years, you have this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful soil. It almost looks like chocolate cake. And it doesn't take that long. <laughs> but I'm just saying it's a it's a regenerative process. So it keeps regenerating and regenerating and regenerating. So that is another practice that we practice here for regenerative farming. So for that um, inoculation process you were describing where you take rice and you go and you leave it out somewhere for five days and then you add sugar, sure. is that something that I could do like at home and I could Absolutely. improve my own, say I have a garden or like a little yeah. patch of dirt somewhere? Yeah, absolutely. And I actually, uh, the YouTube playlist that I sent to you has a, an amazing video. There's this really guy, if anybody's interested in this, uh, there's this really awesome guy that goes by Spicy Mustache on YouTube. And he's in the UK. He's an absolute wizard. And he makes it really cool, really funny. Young guy, just full of tats. And he's a really cool, uh, cool resource for creating IMOs and Korean natural farming. And it's very easy. And you can continue to just add different um, IMOs to your soil. So like I said, I used one from the land behind us. And then I'll use something from another block, you know, down the road. So you're using all of these indigenous microorganisms from the same microclimate because they're thriving here, but they're different areas of that microclimate. So again, it's biodiversity. It's the more biodiversity. Exactly. And when we do like I said, the cover cropping or any other thing, we leave the roots in the ground. We don't pull the roots up. We leave the roots in the ground. So that in turn is put back into the soil and becomes organic matter. And that really helps with the absorption of rain and water. Mm -hmm. So it can hold that water and it can hold that carbon. Carbon sequestration is another huge thing for regenerative ag. So it holds all that stuff in the soil and it's not washed out and it's not... Um, it's not eroded or it's not lost, you know, because you need that water. And that's another thing. We don't water our gardens every day because we don't have to, even though we're living in a tropical climate and it's hot most of the time because of our carbon sequestration, because of our organic matter, because of the richness of the soil. And it's able to hold that water and hold those nutrients. We don't have to water every day, which is unlike traditional Industrial what a concept. Farm. Yeah, no, yeah. like industrial farming, you would imagine it needs like so much water, but that's like not the natural way. Like we have to it's add not. it back because we're taking it away, basically. Exactly. The cover cropping you're describing is really interesting to me because I've never thought about like growing anything with not the intention not to eat it, but actually just to like bring health back to the soil. Like that's a really interesting concept. It is. And a lot of 
Um, nowadays, and Gabe Brown is actually, like I said, one of the pioneers who is teaching these industrial farmers because you can still be an industrial farmer and practice regenerative methods. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these farmers are beginning to do cover crop, but they're growing cover crop that they can use as cash crops. And that's totally fine too. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a point of covering the soil and bringing that nutrients back into it, bringing that organic matter back into it. That's the key. Um, instead of tilling and eroding and losing all those precious nutrients. Um, mm-hmm. Another huge thing that goes along with that is mulching. Um, so covering the ground, all of your soil all the time, because if you look out in nature, nature, the soil is always covered. You can go in the forest, you can go to the grasslands, you can go anywhere. The it's soil is all little, covered. little plants and, and trees and like grass, everything, fuzzy you know, stuff. even really dry in the grasslands um it's always covered it's always covered and that is the concept that we mimic here through mulching so we have cedar we use cedar chips and it's cedar trees um generally so we have you want to use a whole tree when you're mulching not just the like chunks of bark that you would buy at home depot or lowe's you want an entire tree once again biodiversity so we make sure to the best of our ability, most of the time, that the soil in all all parts of the land that aren't covered by grass are covered with mulch for about two or three inches. And once again, that helps to keep the moisture in, prevents evaporation, and adds more biodiversity and nutrients into your soil. Mm -hmm. Um, And after a while, you don't have to mulch as much because that mulch just stays as a cover and isn't breaking down into the soil because it's absorbed so much after time and time and time again. So that's a very, very important key to regenerative agriculture as well is mulching. Yeah. I think it's important to mention, like when we keep saying this like biodiversity, like we're not just talking about like plant species. We're talking about like having animals on the land and we're talking about like insects. One like really interesting thing that I read was that uh, for every one pest, one for every one insect that is a pest, there are actually 1,700 beneficial insects that like we need yep. to increase um, yep. the health of our land. So exactly. I, yeah, insects get like such a bad reputation, but they're actually exactly. really important. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, that's a beautiful thing because we're focused so much on killing that one pest when we should be focusing on providing a nurturing environment for all of these bugs and then they'll take care of themselves, you know? So that's, it's, it's really important to look at it from a holistic point of view, because that's what this is, right? It's holistic farming. So yeah, that's a really, really great point to make. Yeah. And sounds like from diversity and integration, um, regenerating natural resources, um, we won't need synthetic fertilizers, pesticides, fungicides. Exactly. Nature will take care of herself if we let her. You said it. And we... We have um, cows grazing on our land, you know, which is a really, really important aspect of regenerative ag as well. Because when the cows graze, they obviously, they poop and they they pee and the saliva and they graze the weeds and the grass down to an optimal level for it to grow back double. Um, Mm -hmm. You don't want them to graze the same place all the time. So we do move them around. Um, But once again, we're only on four acres. So sometimes we do send the cows off to other land to graze. Um, Not a lot, but we do, we do practice that as well. 
but we utilize the cow manure for our compost. So we have tons of cow shit. So we use that for our compost and it's so nitrogen rich and so nutrient rich and that with our mulching and then with our food, food waste. So we're, I don't want to say we're zero waste. We still have waste here on the farm, but it's very minimal. Uh, we don't throw food away. We don't throw any food away. All of our food goes into a compost pile, which is mixed with the manure. And then we sift it, which is made into compost. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful process. And then utilizing those inoculations through biodynamic and Korean natural farming, adding that to the compost. And there's another component called coconut core, but we don't have to get into that. But by mixing all of that together, we have this beautiful, beautiful uh, seed start mix is what we use to um, to grow all of our seed starts. And then we transplant them into the garden. So it's just this beautiful cycle of nature when you're utilizing every part of the land, every part of the animal. And then we have our chickens out on pasture and they're generally in our apple orchard. So they're on pasture in the apple orchard and we move them around. Same concept there. They're adding biodiversity to the land. And as a bonus, we get eggs from them. So that's just like an added bonus. And like you said about the pasture eggs, they're just so deeply rich and they're almost orange, the yolks, compared to this light, pale, sickly yellow that you get in the store. Um, and it's just such a beautiful thing. And it's and it's um and they're very, very delicious and nutrient dense. So that's just another added bonus. And then here on the farm, we get to uh, we get to partake in the milk that the cows provide. So there's just all these things that we're getting from the animals by providing them this beautiful environment to flourish in. They don't have a stressful life. They're very much taken care of. And it's not just the farming methods, but it's the energy. It's all energy and it's the love and it's the appreciation that goes into this land. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful place to thrive. And sounds it's, like it's uh, raising the vibration of like everything. Absolutely. 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 100%. I always yeah. tell Mark and Leah, I'm like, this isn't a farm. This is a healing center. And it is. <laughs> <you know? laughs> How are you integrating your yoga practice into this farm? Yeah. Like, why um, do you think that those two things kind of go hand in hand because you've told me that like in separate conversations before it's all tied together it is i mean so yoga it means union and through these practices of regenerative agriculture we're becoming more in union with mother earth you know regenerative agriculture regenerative movement you know you're regenerating your body you're regenerating the land uh, and it's beautiful. I have the opportunity to teach here on the land. So I teach classes here to um, the people who live on the land when they're interested. I mean, I do my practice here. Me and Larry practice uh, yoga out on the land almost every day. Um, it's just a very beautiful environment that is conducive to that lifestyle. And when you get to see the transition in yourself and see the transition in the land and see how it all works in union, in harmony, it's it's hard to separate them, right? You can't really separate the two. It's all union. It's all yoga. So that is a beautiful thing. And the owners of the farm are so into it. Um, Mark, he is like a master of astrology. And Leah is like a master in Ayurveda practices, which is essentially food yoga. 
Um, there's much more to it than that, but that's essentially what it is. Um, and they just provide this beautiful sphere for us to be able to grow and nurture and share their experiences with us and us to be able to grow and take on more life, take on more experiences. And it's just such a beautiful place. Like I said, it's so much more than a farm. And Mark, he always says that this is just a, this is just an example, a small four acre example of what it all could really truly be like. And it's so true. And there's so many different moving parts. And I get really excited sometimes. Like, okay, I got to get this done. I got to get this done. I got to get this done. But you get that done and there's still 150 more things to do. So it's, you just do a little bit every day, you know, when you just keep working towards that common goal, because that's something that we all share here on this farm is a com common goal of union, food sovereignty, health, well-being. You know, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day is sustainable living, sustainable health, sustainable well-being, being able to facilitate that well-being in yourself and others through education, through hands-on, through direct experience. You know, it's not about, okay, this is what we're doing over here. It's about, huh, what are they doing over there? One of this, one of the most beautiful things I saw, and I can't remember which documentary it was, but he said, my intention is to not like, oh, I'm a biodynamic farmer. I'm better. It's having my neighbor look at me and say, huh, what is he doing over there? I'm interested, you know? And then the neighbor comes over and they strike up this conversation and he shares the practices with his neighbor. In turn, in the next few years, his neighbor's farm is flourishing through regenerative biodynamic methods. That's the intent of this is to not put these practices on a pedestal, but to make them appealing and understandable and digestible to everyone because it is the fucking future. <laughs> But no, yeah, that's why I like all of this. I like this episode because there's this giant move, especially coming down and off. I mean, we're not even out of it, but coming down and off the pandemic, this collective interest in cottage core, which is like this online aesthetic of, of people like being out in the woods and self-sufficient and baking bread and crocheting and like that's not just an aesthetic, like people are really like moving towards like out of cities into nature, getting back in touch with themselves and their connection to like source energy and Absolutely. improving their quality of life and community. And I think that like what you're doing is beautiful. What you're sharing is beautiful. Um, and you're like actually on a daily basis, like learning really important stuff on like how to live better. Whereas like, I don't know, a lot of us are trapped doing an Excel sheet every day. It's like, wow, yeah. is that helping me live better? Yeah. And yeah. I've been there. I've been there in that yeah. same spot. <laughs> I'm like, this is not fucking the way to live, you know? It's, it's literally insane how far you've come or like how different your life is in like the last three years. It's been really exciting to see, to be honest. Thank you, Em. I like, seriously, I really appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. So how can we support Maui Bees? Say we are nowhere near close being able to go to Maui to take a tour. You know, I'm just over here in Washington. Maybe I'm somewhere else in the world. Is there a website or a way that like I can Absolutely. get involved? Do you cast your YouTube uh, session or your yoga sessions to YouTube? Do you like, is there a way we can like watch you live? You know what? That's a, that's 
God just gave me an idea. Um, it would be really cool to offer some kind of class, like an outdoor yoga class, you know, on YouTube or Zoom to the community just as like a little something, like maybe once every two weeks or once a month as just like a free offering on my end. I don't think I could commit to every week, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it would be really cool. And then people could kind of see like a little piece of the farm and then be able to do some yoga. Um, that's a really great idea. And I think that's something that I could make happen like relatively soon. Oh my God, um, but so out, exciting. outside of that, um, yeah, we have a website, MauiBees.com. Um, and then Instagram is Maui B, at Maui Bees Honey. Um, and on our website, we have tons of beautiful resources. And it explains about cover cropping. It explains about soil health. Um, there's a post from Mark on there who is an absolute wizard when it comes to this stuff. Leah as well. I mean, they're just so knowledgeable when it comes to regenerative agriculture because they've done it. They've actually brought the land back and it's thriving through these methods over the past 12, 13 years. And it's just amazing to be a part of that. Um, you can actually order our honey online too. We ship anywhere in the US. Um, you can go on our website or you can buy it on Amazon. Um, highly recommend checking that out. I mean, it's just, it's amazing honey. And that's a great way to support what we're doing here. Um, 100% raw Maui honey. It's fantastic. And yes, I am partial, but it is the best honey I've ever freaking had. Uh, I highly recommend checking out the winter honey. That's my personal favorite, but try the summer honey too. It's really good stuff. Um, and it's, and it's a really great boost to your immune system. I eat about a tablespoon or two every single day. And uh, it has really helped me with my uh, allergies, I guess I would say, because I like milk the cows and I'm around hay all the time. There's like hay in my face and there's all these flowers and plants blooming, especially right now. And that's kind of something that I have had a challenge with for my life. It's kind of subsided over the past three years since I've changed my lifestyle, but especially uh, on the farm, summertime, everything's in bloom and there's hay flying everywhere. Eating the honey has really helped me with that. So it's a great medicine. Um, but yeah, those are the best ways to, to, to support us is just to go to our website and uh, find out information. And if you go to farmer's markets and support your local farmers, that's another way to support us too, because you are striking up relationships with your local farmers. And I know that there's a lot of beautiful CSA programs out there that farmers offer when they offer these beautiful boxes and you can experience all the things that they grow. And just like, uh, I love how Gabe Brown says it, that we have a completely open door policy at his farm. And it's the same here. People come here, and it, it's, I'll just kind of give you a little context of how it used to be. So it used to be a you pick farm. So people would come, walk our gardens, pick their own vegetables, put them in a bag. And on the back porch of the main house, there used to be a scale and an honesty box. So people used to weigh their own vegetables, $3 a pound, and just leave their money in a box. And nobody was around to check. It was all self-sufficient. Um, COVID came, we changed those parameters. Plus we built this beautiful, um, uh, beautiful farm stand and in, in commercial kitchen, which is now at the front of the farm, people come buy their vegetables, buy their goodies and treats there. And then they can still walk around the farm and just see what we're doing. There's no, there's no hiding of the practices. There's no sketchy shit going around. It's literally nature's way. 
and our animals are treated so well. The staff is treated so well. The plants are treated so well. I mean, it's one big harmonious family. Not to say that there's not its challenges or people don't have bad days. Of course, it's life. But it's just so much more conducive to a lifestyle of well-being. And um, we just offer so many awesome things. Um, And one more thing that we offer that's so awesome is our uh, fermented foods. We have uh, one of our long-term word traders, Felicity. She makes amazing fermented foods. So she does all of the krauts, um, which are a huge probiotic boost to your gut health. And we brew June here, which is kombucha, um, but it's made with green tea and honey instead of black tea and sugar like kombucha is. So there's just so many ongoing parts here and there's just so many amazing offerings. So if anybody ever comes to Maui, Come to Maui Bees and I will walk you around the garden and it will be freaking amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm about to book a trip. This sounds great. You should. Hey, come stay on the farm with me. I'll put you to work for a week and you can just stay in my hut. Okay, I'm down. So (laughs) this kind of begs the question, um, do you live on a commune? Is this culty at all? I just have to ask. (laughs) It is a cult of appreciation. (laughs) Is that what they all say? <laughs> no, it's not. It's I mean, a commune is just what community. It's definitely a community, um, okay. but there's well, how no... many people live on the farm? I didn't ask earlier. Like, what's the community like there? You live. Yeah, on so the there's farm. Te- Yeah, I live on the farm. I've been here for almost a year, um, and it's not a call at all. Um, people come and go. It's actually it can be very transient at times um, because like once we'll have- if you're safe and not a hostage. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they come around like every night at 8 p.m. with a box and you have to put your keys and your phone in it. And then you don't get your phone and your keys back until the next morning just to make sure everybody stays on the farm and nobody communicates at night. I'm totally joking. <laughs> oh my God. What? The fuck? <laughs> uh, no, there's nothing crazy happening. That's a everybody. Lie, right. Okay, good. Good. Yeah, that's a lot. So how, how it works, how it works seriously though, there's about 10 of us that live on the farm. So there's two owners, Mark and Leah, and they live in their house up top. And there's about eight of us work traders here. Um, and most of us are long-term. There's, I think there's only one girl that's short-term right now, and she's leaving in about a month. Um, a lot of times, twice a year, we'll bring on three or four people to help with honey harvest because it is such a huge task. And there's daily tasks that need to be carried out every single day, whether it's honey harvest or not. Like you have to tend to the garden, you have to feed the chickens, you have to get the eggs, you have to milk the cows, you have to feed the cows. You have there's so many things that need to be done every day. And then when honey harvest comes, that's just two months of every single day work that we need to bring in work traders for. Um, So we'll bring in like three or four people twice a year just to help with that and they'll stay for a couple months. But outside of that we have our long-term crew, uh, which is myself and about seven others. Um, And we all have like our own space, um, our own individual living spaces. We get utilities, washer dryer, internet, all the organic food from the farm that we can eat, uh, shared spaces. Um, We have all of that. We work 40 hours a week. And um, in exchange for that, we get to live on the farm, you know, and it's a beautiful thing. It's all taken care of and it's all beautiful and so it's you basically all don't pay for food or utilities or rent nope and you just nope. work and 
Okay, that's interesting. Yep. Yeah, it's called work trade, and it's a really popular thing here. Yeah. Interesting. If anybody listening is interested in doing that, can they find that information on Maui Bees as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If um, anybody's interested, they can look on the website. Um, there is an organization called um, woof.org, and it's like World Organic Organization of Farmers or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people um, actually find us through the woofing website, um, which is really cool. Um, but like I said, that's more short term. We don't really, we're trying to get away from the woofing and just have like more long-term local people here. Um, just because it's more sustainable to, because there's so many things to learn. So if people come in for just two or three months and it takes us a month to get them up to speed, then they're gone in another month. And it's kind of almost counteractive to spend that much time training somebody that's going to be gone in a month. So I mean, on the flip side, you're giving people like lifetime information that absolutely. they might go start their own farm, you know? And that's the, that's the beauty of it too. You know, people yeah. are coming here and I like to see it because a lot of people they'll come here and they're like, okay, I'm just kind of here for the summer Maui experience. And then they leave here and they're like, holy shit, I have all these life skills that I can take with me into the real world. And mm-hmm. kind of like they see how bullshit it really is like damn like food sovereignty is something that's very accessible i don't have to go to the store to buy my own food i can grow my own food i can learn how to cultivate the land and work together in union with the land to produce these beautiful crops and to raise animals and animal husbandry and it's just such a beautiful thing three years ago if you would have told me i would be learning how to milk cows and like tend to chickens and like learn how to grow food i would have been like yeah fucking right but now i have those skills and i'm only going to get you know more practiced at it you know by living it every single day and then eventually i'll have my own land and i'll have my own little healing center and you can come and do your podcast there Oh my God. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, like, what are your long-term plans with the accumulation of this knowledge? Like, tell us about that. Yeah. I want to, I want to have my own space. My dream is to have two acres here on Maui. I don't want four. Um, I mean, four is a lot in my opinion for what I want to do. I want something very small scale. I want not even half of the garden size that we have. Um, but I want it to be more, directed towards healing like a healing center more so than a farm it's still a farm but this would be a place where people come for an extended stay like a month or six weeks and it's more focused around personal well-being and development as far as yoga meditation uh breath work um inner journeys but still teaching people how to live in harmony with the land by growing food and just having like one cow and like five chickens instead of like the larger scale that we have, but still having all of these aspects on just a smaller scale and having about 20 people coming in at a time, you know, and I have myself and a staff of about five or six that live on the land with me. And then we have teachers who come in and out, you know, daily or weekly to do workshops and, to give, you know, open discussions and have, you know, all of these juicy things um, that would just really cultivate a sense of well-being and healing in people and allow them to take that back to wherever they go, you know, and it's not something that's just, you know, 
it's not something that's advertised, but people know about it, you know, and, and it's, 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 it's here, it's here and it's happening. And I'm really stoked to watch it fully come into manifestation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, self-sufficiency, teaching people things like how to grow their own food or a solid yoga practice. Like it, it all goes into like personal wellness and then community wellness too, because they can share that information with others. Absolutely. That's beautiful, yep. man. Yeah. And that's what we're doing here is we're building community. You know, and it's not just about the people that live on the land. It's about the people that come here. Some people come here every single day for food. You know, some people come here every day to hang out. And that is what it's about is providing that space for a community. You know, even though it's not my space, you know, Mark and Leah created this space for the community, which is such a beautiful thing. And to to me being being able to be a part of that and participate that, participate in that, learn these skills. And then take them and create my own space is going to be, it's invaluable. It's invaluable, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited to see all the things that you do from here. Like even just the last year, seeing like how much you've learned and like shifted your focus and still doing the yoga, intuitive life coaching a bit. But also farming, like that's really cool. So you guys, uh, we didn't really advertise this, but we're (laughs) Ryan is going to give you a um, guided breath work and meditation. So yeah, let's do it. How should we do this? So let's uh, let's just find a comfortable seat, everyone. Um, We don't have to be sitting cross leg or anything. Um, You can sit in a chair. Just find a nice, comfortable seat and sit nice and tall. You want the spine to be nice and tall. Try to close the windows of the eyes. Just roll the shoulder heads back. Bring the low ribs into the body. Just reach up nice and tall to the crown of the head. Just take a couple breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth. Let it all go. One more, in through the nose, out through the mouth. Now what we're gonna do together is a practice called Breath of Fire. So it is a series of short and sharp exhalations through the nostrils created by a pumping or chugging of the navel center. It's really good for promoting healthy digestion. It's really good for strengthening the walls of the abdominal muscles. And it's really good for settling the body and the mind. I like to perform this practice before meditation or before asana practice, yoga practice. So it looks and sounds a little something like this. So if this is your first time practicing Breath of Fire, I like to just place a hand over the stomach, over the abdominal region, and you can really feel the pumping or chugging of the navel center. So what we're going to do is inhale about 75% lung capacity, and then begin the series of short and sharp exhalations through the nose. 
don't worry about the inhale. That comes naturally. Focus on the exhale through the nose. We're going to do three rounds together. Each round is going to be about 20 to 25 breaths apiece. At the end of each round, we're going to fully exhale through the nose, pause for a second, and fully inhale through the nose and pause for a second. It'll take a couple of minutes for the whole practice. When we complete, we're going to enter into a guided meditation. Whenever you do this practice outside of this episode, feel free to sit as long as you'd like to add as many breaths as you'd like and just to really feel into your body. This is just a template. This is just an instruction of how to carry out this practice, but feel free to make it your own. So we're going to go ahead and begin. exhale through the nose. Hold for just a couple of heartbeats. Fully inhale through the nose. Hold for just a couple of heartbeats at the top. Slowly exhale through the nose. And we'll take a couple rounds of normal breathing. Go ahead and begin our second round. Fully exhale through the nose. Hold for just a couple of heartbeats. Slowly inhale through the nose. Holding at the top for just a couple of heartbeats, feeling the shimmer of the life force energy within your body. And we'll slowly exhale through the nose, take a few rounds of normal breathing. Just noticing, just observing, no judgment, no grasping, just feeling. I'm going to go ahead and begin our third and final round right now. Begin. Slowly exhale through the nose. Holding for a couple extra heartbeats this time. Slowly inhale through the nose, excuse me. Holding for a couple extra heartbeats at the top. Really feeling the shimmer of the life force within the body. We'll slowly exhale through the nose. A few rounds of normal breathing. And just stay here. Focus on your breath. Eyes still closed, body soft, inner body bright with breath, outer body softening around the edges of your skin. Jaw is soft and receptive. 
the tongue is not glued to the roof of the mouth. The spot in between the eyes is soft, not wrinkled and tight. I want you to breathe deeply from the bottom of your belly. As you breathe deeply from the bottom of your belly, let's all finish and exhale together. Now, we're all at the bottom of our exhale. Now, as we begin to inhale through the nose, the belly begins to distend. The side ribs begin to flare and the heart begins to lift. That's the three-part breath. Now, as we begin to exhale through the nose, the heart begins to soften. The side ribs hug in, navel to spine. So I'll do that again together. Inhale, belly distends. Side ribs flare, heart lifts. Exhale, heart softens. Side ribs hug in, navel to spine. One more time all together. Inhale, belly distends, big Buddha belly. Side ribs flare, heart lifts. Exhale, heart softens. Side ribs hug in, navel to spine. Now follow that on your own. That's called the three-part breath. As we begin our guided meditation, just come to the breath. Now as we sit here in this space of receptivity, we're sitting cross-legged. I want you to feel the earth underneath you. We're sitting in a chair, feet flat on the ground. I want you to feel the earth underneath your feet. And as you begin to inhale, I want you to feel the energy of the earth entering underneath you, either entering the base of the spine, seated, or entering through the soles of the feet. And as you begin to breathe, slowing the breath way, way down, the beautiful, grounding energy of Mother Earth is beginning to fill your body. The beautiful nurturing and nourishing energy of Mother Earth is beginning to fill your body. With each breath that you take, you are becoming more and more connected with your surroundings, more and more connected with the pulse, of the earth and more and more connected to the nurturing energy of Mother Earth. Just breathing and feeling that energy within the body. And as that energy expands, it begins to fill every crevice of our body. It begins to light up every cell within your being. And as you continue to breathe, continue to invite this beautiful grounding energy in through the base of the spine, in through the soles of the feet. And as that energy reaches the crown of the head, that energy begins to expand out, wrapping you in this beautiful energetic cocoon of grounding earth energy. And as you continue to breathe, this energy continues to expand out from your being 
feel that. Breathe. And as we sit here together as one, feel the energy of the earth supporting you. Feel the energy of the earth nurturing you. Feel the energy of the earth loving you. As you feel that loving, healing energy of Mother Earth, take a deep breath in. And as you exhale, send that energy back into the earth. Send that loving, healing, nurturing energy from every cell in your being back into the earth, replenishing and regenerating the earth to continue the healing, to continue the love, to continue the nourishment for generations and generations to come. Continue to feel the pulse of the earth within every cell of your being and sit and be loved. Sit and be loved. Whenever you're ready, slowly blinking your eyes open, slowly. Stay as long as you'd like in this space. But whenever you're ready, slowly blinking the eyes open, maybe wiggling the toes and the fingers, maybe licking the lips and swallowing. Just feeling that energy that you created. You did this. Give yourself some love for that. And give some love back to the earth as you receive her love and condition. Yeah, that was beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you, Ryan, so much for being on and sharing that wonderful breath work and guided meditation at the end. Um, hopefully you. if you guys, if you guys enjoyed that, you can always come back to, I'll put a timestamp in the show notes. You can always come back and do this whenever you need a little bit of self love or reconnection yep. with the earth. But I felt like that was the perfect thing that we needed at the end of this episode after talking about how we could, you know, commune with nature and, Love our soil, love ourselves, love each other. So thank yeah. you. Yes. Thank you, Em. Appreciate you. I appreciate you. And if you guys want to find Ryan on Instagram, his tag is? <laughs> I haven't been on Instagram in like two and a half months, but you can still holler at me. Send me a DM. I might be on soon. I don't know. It uh, is it's at this is Ryan Phillips. Gotcha. And if you guys want to connect with Maui Bees on Instagram or their website is? Yep. The Instagram is at Maui Bees Honey. And then the website is just MauiBees.com. Beautiful. Well, I love you, man. Thanks so much for being on. And we'll talk again soon. Love you too, Em. Thank you.
And everyone listening, we'll be back next week with more Bitterfly. Yeah.